This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You are your greatest asset. It's time you started investing in that. Visit betterhelp.com allies and take care of you. Hello and welcome to the Easy Allies podcast. Uh, there is no Brandon Jones this week. On top of having jury duty, uh, he's actually sick. So I'll be your host, Daniel Bloodworth, uh, trying to cobble something together here. Dude, blood stepping up. Respect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today I'm joined by Michael Damiani. How's it going? Ben Moore. Konnichiwa. And in the booth, Isla Hink. Hi. Uh, so today we are here to discuss some of the biggest headlines in video games this week. Uh, but before we do that, we're not answering for anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one. Yes, the new, new era. The new era. Attitude Era Easy A podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, we're starting this after we should have left to go home. So yep. uh, there was not time to go through and find corrections. Uh, Brandon will uh, probably pile those on top uh, next week, along with everything else. Uh, but to get started, uh, we'll start with something uh, that we were all here early this morning for, and that was EA Play Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the past few years, EA has kind of distanced itself from E3 physically. Yeah. Um, this year, they, they distanced themselves by uh, being a month later. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what was your guys' just, first of all, just general vibe of how the, the show went? I mean, it was better than I thought it would be just because of how historically bad they've been the last few years that they've done this type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt it was a very tight presentation. They didn't show off too much. What they showed off, they showed enough of to answer most of my questions. And what they showed off was pretty actually interesting. And I, I think, you know, worth and like worth our time, worthy of an event, basically. Not, right. not not something like what Capcom did where, hey, we told you it was going to be in here and you're still disappointed. It's like, that wasn't even worthy of an E3 event. This could have been an E3 and just been one of the better conferences or, you know, showcases. Um, Blood, you and I were kind of talking about it, uh, but just for the sake of context, like a big problem with EA is they really don't understand, like... The audience sometimes it feels like, like the E3 audience, like if we're kind of branding this in E3, where like the way they would present themselves was not really catered to kind of that core gaming demographic in a way that was like interesting or engaging. Um, But this was very snappy for the most part, or at least in what I remember old EA conferences feeling like. Even things that I wasn't interested in, I don't feel like we were spending that long on them. And then things that I was interested in, I felt like we kind of got to the heart of it right away, where it was like, uh, like Battlefield Portal is a great example. I think it's a really cool idea. And after having like a, a pretty entertaining um, reveal trailer, they're like, this is what this is. This is a top level view of what this is, what you're going to be able to do, and uh, you know what we're going to include in it. And so, um, yeah, I thought... The, the presentation was strong, I, I think, at least in the realm of, like, EA. Um, Dead Space obviously pulling a lot of weight there. But, uh, no, I, I think they've definitely gotten better uh, at presentations, if this is anything to go by. 
Yeah, I think we we lost a lot of that, uh, you know, executive speak. Yeah. You know, they were one of the ones that, like, kind of kept that going for the longest and just had people kind of talking on stage. Yeah. I remember one time a couple of years ago, like, they were just all proud of themselves for bouncing between, like, L.A. Oh, and London God. and just yeah. all, all of that kind of conversation. And yeah. then the other, you know, big criticism that we've had of EA in the past few years is there would be times where they would – quote unquote show a game, but all you're really seeing is like concept art or renders and and it doesn't really help you feel Those any value for trailers, that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um uh, it's funny they mentioned that because I think like I, I think it was in the pre show. We kind of got a taste of that where they cut back to like previous things that they had done. Yeah. And there was that that EA play where they were all outside and it was just every conversation was the most awkward thing you've ever seen. And there was definitely, like, some awkwardness here. Uh, but I think not being forced to endure those really forced, really tired conversations where you don't get a lot of information, like, having a lot of that cut out was helpful. I think um, Austin was a good host as well. I, I think uh, he was able to bring the energy uh, without making it too awkward as well, so I think I think that helped. And the other thing that I want to say, like on a on a on a big level, is I feel like in the AAA space, right? And EA is as AAA as it gets. You, we've spent a lot of years them taking series that we care about and giving us things that we don't want, and that didn't happen here. Like I was like, no, I I really want Battlefield Portal. Like that sounds right. like a cool idea. Like you're not wedging in this thing that's not like hardline right yeah right yeah it's like you're you're including something that feels like it makes sense that is honoring the series history and like just looks like goofy fun in a way that is super appropriate to the sandbox of battlefield so i'm way into that yeah i think to me the the weakest points are a the pre-show which i kind of have had a bit of a rant on. Like, I don't think official pre-shows make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, because, especially with this, where the pre-show started at what seemed to be, what my I understood should be the show start time, mm -hmm. rather than happening before that. Right. So they had a countdown for like five minutes, and then pre-show starts, and they have a countdown for 15 more minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. We're watching all of these trailers that have been previously released mm -hmm. and recapping the, because they've had several different streams for, you know, more specialty things like EA Originals right. over the past few weeks. I, I agree with you that the pre-show was a, a low point, but <laughs> I'm sure it probably wasn't intentional, but the pre-show actually, like, kind of got me in the headspace of, like, oh, this is what it's going to be like. And it kind of, like, set my expectations at a very low level, and so the actual show was better than that. <laughs> right. So right. in comparison, uh, I have I have a more favorable companion, which is a really interesting strategy, I think. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if they intended it <laughs> yeah. that way, but yeah. maybe someone was a genius over there. Right. It was like, like that's some pretty next we're going to yeah, we yeah. know a way to make this re be rece received better. Um, yeah, I think obviously you know they're taking steps to improve you know they're not going to get it all right in you know one attempt here mm -hmm. so maybe the feedback will be to them that you know tighter is better 
You know, yeah. like, like State of Play, Nintendo Directs. They basically cut out all that excess stuff and just focus on the announcements they get to what they need to get to. They're out. I think it's just like maybe a byproduct of an older era where you feel like it, it's like it's a ten pole event. You got to have a pre-show. You got to entertain the guests ahead of time. You got to do something afterwards. And like that, people want to get on. Their, their time's valuable. And they right. just want to get on. And like, it's just a different era now. Yeah. yeah. And and the other bit that I thought was a, somewhat of a low point was the. Uh, the intro with Lost and Random, um, which oh. I think they kind of knew. I think they kind of went in there and was like, yeah, this is going to be a, a bit silly, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but having the narrator do this back and forth with uh, the host. I think, yeah, you're, you're totally right that it was uh, a little eye-rolling, but I think that game looks so charming that it it kind of got washed away mm-hmm. uh, just because I'm like, oh, I, I really want to play that. It does look really unique, really creative, really fun. Uh, and so I, I think that's what I ended up walking away from with. Yeah, that's a good point. I I, I, feel, I felt that way too. Like I forgot about it. It's like, yeah, they tried. But at the same time, I think it's also a thing they might learn from. It's like you totally didn't even need that. Yeah. You could have gone right, right into that game and right. it, like that's what mattered. That's what people are remembering about it because, you know, let the game speak for itself. And the and Go the ahead. one oh sorry no uh, you're good the one thing I would would say too and, and and you touched on this earlier Ben is that every time that they had one of those interviews where Xavier was talking to a developer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it felt worthwhile it felt yes. like I was learning something that mattered to me yes. that mattered to the game mm-hmm. and that I wasn't just getting some PR bullet points I was I was talking to somebody who was actually working on that game and passionate on that game. Totally. Uh, that was actually something that I wanted to touch on. One of my absolute biggest pet peeves uh, with award shows that they never seem to learn from, except like I think this is a good case where they did, is like you get the really drawn out, like beating the horse to death, like, oh, I love video games. I'm so excited that I get to work on this video game. I've been playing Mario since the 80s. And it's just like, no, like that's not – you don't – no one's going to believe you. Like, the way that you convince people and the way you get people excited is you show them what you're working on. Like, if you show me something that is awesome, I'll believe that you're excited to work on it. I'll see that passion, right? I think Lost in Random is a good example. Just, like, seeing that game in action, I'm like, I bet that was really fun to work on. You know, and that's just so much more effective than the tired, like, oh, man, I love Star Wars. You know, like, that that stuff is meaningless. So out of these, I think uh, obviously uh, Dead Space is the biggest news piece. Yeah, the thing we're most excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of got enough hints to to narrow in on Dead Space, and like in my mind, I'm trying to figure out like how did we really figure this out? But I think part of it is that so many people had said they weren't going to be there, right? We, we Skate yes. wasn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. And Bioware wasn't going to be there. And uh, Star Wars said they weren't going to be there. Um, but what is it, what is it that you think that like made us, other than just the will of Dead Space, <laughs> that made us arrive at that before the real announcement? Uh, there was a moment in the stream, because they, it's, it's, Kind of awful, but it's like one of those weird things where it's so awful that I love it and it kind of is funny and fun to like just interact with you guys about. The the letter thing <laughs> yeah. is so goddamn dumb. <laughs> and it's like beautiful at its stupidity. Uh, but when it, when we got to like ITSBA, I was like, oh, it's 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 back. I like I and I was like, the only thing that that is going to be is Dead Space. 
you know. Uh, and so I, 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 w- I was pretty convinced well before we actually got to the Dead Space reveal that, like, yeah, they're bringing – not only are they bringing Dead Space back, but it'll it'll be here. Yeah. I mean, we had industry insiders also saying it right. was pre- pretty much mm-hmm. going to be it. Right. I mean, we were still unsure about whether it would be Dead Space 1. I mean, most of the evidence or circumstantial evidence seemed to point towards it was going to be Dead Space 1. But we all just wanted to see what it looked like. We wanted the confirmations from Motive or EA themselves. And, you know, from the press release, we saw, the, you know, what the, some of the details that, like, it's the story of one, but elements from all the different games. So right. whatever that's really going to be, we'll, we've yet to see. Um, but, yeah, this is one of those, I think it's usually safe. Whenever it comes to, like, Activision, Ubisoft, or EA, insider leaks seem to always be pretty accurate mm. when it comes to those three companies for some reason. So I was like, yeah, these ones are usually pretty spot on. So, like, this has been, like, weeks old, like, you know, mm. kind of, like worst kept secret does dead space need a full remake rather than what they did for mass effect i mean whatever it takes to get it back i mean on a personal level i i i like i can't even remember how much i played of the original dead space like because i'm not like the biggest horror game fan yeah but i know so many people love that game and definitely watching a lot of people play it back at game trailers like the atmosphere i was like okay this like this seems pretty special i i, I feel like for me my answer might not be what a lot of fans answers would be but it's basically make this game prove it can be successful again and then you could go from there i know a lot of people i saw a lot of comments saying Man, I really wish they just make a new story. I wish they would have made like a new, a new Dead Space. I don't want to remake. And it's like, you know what? There could have been nothing here. Like right. before all these rumors, like I don't think anyone ever thought Dead Space was ever coming back again. Like it was probably like good luck getting this to come back. So it starts somewhere. Same thing with like the Resident Evil remakes. Like yeah. that series is kind of you know not in a great spot. And he got RE2 remake, RE3 make, and it's like you got. RE7 in the middle of that in Village. So it's like, who says that this doesn't like blow up and they make a new Dead Space yeah. and it goes the same route. A lot of those rumors were saying this is m- mirroring what Capcom did with Resident Evil. EA saw that and was like, let's do this yeah. with the yeah. Dead Space. Seven was before two. So. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks. Dead Space is an incredible game. Dead Space 1 and 2 are incredible games and I like it absolutely deserves all the love and care in the world, but it's interesting that you compare it to Mass Effect because when you have a conversation about Mass Effect with somebody, you're not like, let me tell you about this gunfight. Like that that that's not how you open it up. You're like, "Oh man, like I fell in love with Tali or or like Garrus or whoever." And it's like, "Oh, do you remember that one crazy story event, right?" And so I think not that the gameplay isn't important. That's not what I'm trying to say. Not that the gameplay isn't important in Mass Effect or that the, 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 there are a bunch of other elements going on. But I think it really comes down to the writing and going through that journey, that trilogy, uh, and having that be the experience. And so I think, you know, largely keeping that intact, you, that you still get that. But with Dead Space, the story is incredibly important, but it's, it's about atmosphere. It's, it's a game that is dealing with unstable characters doing unstable things. It's it's sort of like uh, an unreliable narrator, you know, leading you along. And so I think if you play it straight, a lot of the joy is gone. You know, I think with horror, uh, it's, it's the unknown. And I think, you know, kind of uh, wrapping it back around to Resident Evil 2 Remake, like, yes, the, the general framework of the story and the characters were there, but even if you play Resident Evil 
two a hundred times, you didn't know what was going to happen in remake. You know, right. they, they 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 made it a new experience, and I think that is exactly what they needed to do here, or they need to do here. Yeah. So essentially, it's it's to offset the the familiarity, to play right. with your expectations, right. and and give you something. Uh-huh. You have a mem- if you have yeah. you know if you have the game memorized, right. this is still going to have some value to you other than just higher performance and higher resolution. Right. Uh, I think the next big thing is uh, Battlefield Portal, oh, which man. is a mode in uh, Battlefield 2042, which is essentially like allowing the community to mash up things from uh, Bad Company. 1942, Battlefield 3, and 2042. So you have maps and weapons and vehicles, and you can arrange these things to where you have one tank versus 20 people or four 2042 soldiers versus 16 1942 soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like Mario Maker, except you're not designing levels. You're more Mm -hmm. like designing modes and and, in different kinds of... um, setups and and yeah just these kind of versus elements yeah uh and i think it came across in a way that probably appeals to people that aren't even into battlefield usually yeah i i think um it it appeals to people that aren't into battlefield because it's 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 so low stakes right like when you're like in your reveal trailer when people have defibrillators and knives and they're just right. running in a field and like just mashing into each other, right? Like it's something where it's like you don't need any context. Like that's just fun. That's just dumb fun. Yeah, it's like making uh, custom games in Smash Brothers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like custom games in Smash Brothers. It's like Forge and Halo. Uh, it's just uh, something. And man, like thinking about it, that is something that we really lose a lot, I think, with AAA Shooters. I think honestly, it's part of the reason why I think I've been less invested in AAA shooters over the years. Is like everything is just so serious all the time, and everything is so hyper competitive in esports all the time. And like when I think of Battlefield and being obsessed with Battlefield and growing up for, with Battlefield, I loved it because you would do a match in 2042, or not in 2042, 1942, and you'd be like. I can't believe this idiot did that, you know, and you you just laugh about it or you'd be with your friends and you'd just be like, hey, let's try this. And you do something dumb and it'd be chaotic and be fun. Uh, And like even Battlefield 5, it was so, so serious. And this just feels like it, it it's kind of tapping into the heart of the series, or at least what I feel is the heart of the series, like a little bit better. Yeah, as someone who is like, I think I've only played Battlefield One. <laughs> it's the only one I ever actually played. Yeah, this I, I got those same vibes pretty much. I was like, this is a series that I see other people play, and I it's like these oh crap, did you see that moment? Yeah. Like, can I do this? And now they're translating that into a kind of like a, a fan driven like content. And mm-hmm. you are so on point about like AAA shooters. I just keep hearing so much that like you know right. they're they're just, they're just they're too hyper focused. Yeah, they're taking away some of the fun element that was maybe like ten even fifteen years ago. That like this is what shooters or PC shooters and like you know like you know first person shooters were known for, and they're going back to that. And like as you said as well, they illustrated the concept very brilliantly. I thought because it was like so simple for anyone to understand. Mm-hmm. It just looked fun and goofy to play and. 
I'm actually, I really like it when companies just like let you, as long as it doesn't have to affect the main game, doesn't have to affect any kind of online rankings, just let people screw around with stuff. Yeah. And like yeah. some like sandbox mode, like here's all the stuff, just do what you want, create what you want to create and stuff. Obviously, they said you're not going to be able to do map it or anything like that, but mm. modes and setting the parameters, that's. I think that's a good starting spot. And this seems like something they could build upon for a very, very long time. And that excitement, they kept, this was rumored that like this is a mode they were very excited about. I mean, Huber is going through the halls all the time telling us about like, yeah. this thing is like <laughs> going to be like their big thing. It's yeah. like, you could, it came across very well, especially yeah. with the developer interview part. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. this is pretty legit. Um, when they were, we just saw a brief glance of it in, uh, in the trailer, but when they were showing like how you customize it, it looked pretty intimidating at least to me it didn't it didn't have like that uh you mentioned mario maker where it's like right. oh like this is clearly designed that like anybody can make a level it didn't have that but thinking about it i don't know that that is necessary i don't think it needs to like appeal to everybody in a creation sense because i think most people will just want to like play a bunch of goofy modes and like right. let the cream rise mm -hmm. to the top because the people that are going to be good at it We'll be able to figure it out, no problem. And so, like, I, I, I wonder, like, I don't. I think it's important that everybody is able to play a wide variety of things and get into the games that they want quickly. But in terms of the creation stuff, I don't know that that, like, it, it, like being the most accessible thing, uh, is all that important here. I, and again, I don't know. Maybe it is super intuitive and easy, but uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, just those brief snippets of interface. It, it right. you know, you saw some text boxes, and you right. saw them like dragging and snapping things together and it looks right. sort of like one of those logic puzzles and yes. like i don't know yes. is that gonna be hard or not but yeah I, I am curious how well this all works with matchmaking um i wonder you know will people you know just go in and, and they'll just select the ones that are floating at the top or will there be like it'll be actually kind of brilliant if there is just like a random button Mm -hmm. You click and you don't know what you're gonna get until like a rule sheet comes up on screen. Like, okay, I guess I'm gonna be uh, uh, in a in a jet and I'm gonna be trying to chase down this guy on a llama or something. <laughs> I don't you know. I just. <laughs> um, I'm not. I I don't know what the success of Portal will be, but I'm certainly excited about it. It makes me think of like other modes and games that have kind of like consumed. The game, like I think about Call of Duty right now, and and just how overwhelmingly popular Warzone is, or like I think about right. Warcraft Three and how overwhelmingly popular you know Dota became that it, it just kind of spun off into its own thing, and like as a company, when you have runaway successes like that, and you're making the next game, it's like, okay, do we just want to focus on this thing and make it even better, or do we want to just kind of try something new it's like i just wonder how you deal with those things that blow up and like what is going to happen with this new iteration of battlefield and which mode is really going to stick are any of them going to stick like how is portal going to fit on into all of that and like how does that shape the future of battlefield right i i think it's i think to me it's positioned in a way that it's almost like hedging their bets, right? <laughs> because it could just be a part of this game. And if it does all right, then, you know, they can continue and include that as a feature in the next game and then, you know, potentially bolt something else on after that. But at the same time, because it's got its own branding, 
You know, it almost right. feels like you're getting three separate games with 2042. Right. And so if this thing just really takes off and they really need a lot of resources and they think they can get a broader market for it than the people that want to buy 2042, then, yeah, they could just, okay, we'll cut it out and we'll make it a bigger thing and you can get it on its own. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to buy Battlefield 2042 to play it. Because I think the key is, and this is what Battle Royales have figured out, right, is this seasonal content battle pass style where it's kind of just easy to bolt onto it forever where it's like okay here's this season's cosmetics and just kind of do that over and over and over again battlefield portal has the same sort of potential but it's just not copy and pasting every other success right where it's like you can add there are other battlefield games that you can include things from like maybe as time goes on you'll be able to manipulate the maps more add more maps where it's like i i feel like it's kind of primed for that regular injection of content, but in a way that feels different and like is maybe a little bit more exciting than what we're used to seeing with a lot of monetization stuff. Like even from Battlefield itself, I guess. And uh, some other things that looked really good in there, uh, Lost in a Random, we saw yeah. the yeah. Uh, the battle system a bit. I think I'd still want to get some hands-on to really... Be able to explain it, but mm. it looks like they've they've got a mix of real time and turn based and and card things in there. They also gave some updates on um, Apex Legends and Knockout City. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they led with, which is something that I think is um, you know Im- important for the company, the the bottom line is showing off Codemasters, yeah. who they spent a lot of money to acquire. Uh, and I think it was the pre show where they showed off uh, the F one story mode. Uh, which that just came out last week. And then uh, they kind of gave an overview of Codemasters Legacy in the, in the more recent games that they've worked on. And then they announced uh, Grid Legends, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming from the, the central Codemasters studio. And with that, they're also doing a story mode with live action. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never played oh, a Grid game in my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... There's a scene where like he like just pushes the guy on the shoulders and it's like clearly the most staged thing. <laughs> it, it looks like you're watching a wrestling match and I'm like I want to experience this. Like it got me excited about a grid game in a way I never have been before. Um, but you made a really really good point. It was actually probably my favorite comment during our reactions where they're like, okay, for this story, we're going to tell that you're going to be the underdog. And you're like, that is every racing story. <laughs> that is every, it's just the one racing story. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, as excited as I am for the live action stuff, it's like you already know beat for beat probably how this is going to play out. It's so funny how that's so true. Yeah. Because even like stories where like, it's like the the, the 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 veteran who's won a lot and stuff. Like something will happen where right. now the under it's like I gotta climb back like, up. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh wait, yeah, like oh yeah, this is. It's like how else are you gonna do this? Um, but to your point, Bloodworth, I think it was very important to showcase what they intended to do with Codemasters and mm-hmm. showing like their future, what they're gonna be working on, because that was a very big get for them. And there were questions about obviously they're probably gonna be working on some kind of racing franchise and what are they gonna be doing. And how, and you know we all know how EA works. You know you're coming into the EA family. You're going to be making games. You're going to be expected to make a lot of money. And I, I agree with you, Ben. Like this, the premise. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting how they're going for these these kind of these angles to get people who might not be so interested in racing games to maybe pay attention to this and give mm-hmm. it a chance. Right. Um, so 
yeah, it looks goofy. I, I, I misunderstood it first because I thought it was like an interview. Like, yeah, I, I thought that's, that's right, right. So exactly like, what So because I'm yeah. not familiar enough with the sport, and I'm like, uh, is but then I was like, is this real or is this, is this <laughs> like, yeah, I was like the fight. I'm like, mm, no, not so much is it. It's stage, and then yeah. you're like, it's actors. It's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, yeah, it's like as long as they like can make it pretty accessible in terms of the gameplay, so they could like keep advancing a story. It's like. That might be all people want is like some kind of like story campaign out of like mm. a racing game. They don't care about everything else that it has to offer, but just brings in more people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's interesting as an acquisition, too, because, you know, Codemasters at this point essentially has at least four studios because they've got um, the studio uh, that's uh, doing F1. And then they've got the main studio, which is Grid Legends. And then they have... Um, the one that uh, used to be the, the Drive Club's de- devs, yeah. uh, Evolution, uh, that did Dirt 5. And then they, they've also recently acquired um, Slightly Mad Studios with Project Cars, which, ironically, they did Need for Speed games in the past <laughs> before Project Cars. <laughs> they did the Need for Speed Shift games. So will they yeah. go back to Need for Speed at some point? I imagine it like company meetings... That that has to be like a, a a way that you break the ice w- between studios, where it's like, so which Need for Speed game did you work on, right. <laughs> or have been involved in, or something? I just feel like Need for Speed has just passed through so many hands that, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what that team has up next on their plate, as well as the uh, the Evo team. Um, another thing is that that's that's kind of interesting about this Codemasters acquisition is like, it is super big for EA, as you said, Damiani, but this also helps their, you know, their like EA Play Pro or whatever it is on PC and, you know, Game Pass Ultimate as yeah, well. Origin, like that's yeah, Origin, yeah. That's a very significant number of series that are just kind of sucked into that. Yeah, we're start- yeah, these acquisitions are starting to be about catalogs as much yeah. as like what they can bring to the table for Absolutely. future developments is... Mm-hmm. Everyone, yeah, yeah, very makes very much sense, yeah. Next up, uh, we've got a bit of a doozy. Uh, in terms of the details, I don't, I think we're going to be talking more about reactions than details because there's so much of this just yeah. in the air. Uh, but uh, the state of California essentially uh, is uh, raising a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard, mm-hmm. uh, essentially talking about uh, inequities in the workplace uh, with women. Uh, and uh, harassment and just kind of a hostile environment and not having equal pay and not being able to get promotions and not having more women on staff. And it's there's a lot of different angles and stories and things out there, and it's 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 just a huge mess, essentially. Um, yeah. trying, trying to sort it out as well as just obviously what's been going on there behind the scenes. Yeah, they they uh, if, when you read through it, there's uh, a number of like specific allegations that that sort of range in severity, and at the at the more like extreme level, you read some of the things, and it's just absolutely horrifying. And you have the very natural question of like how how could this even possibly happen? Like how could you not only do this but exhibit this? type of behavior for years and just completely get away with it and obviously that's a that's a common thing that we've seen you know recently especially with ubisoft and i know it's it's a corporate problem all around it's not just blizzard but it's it doesn't make it any less horrible yeah 
it shows that no matter how much progress we think we've really made, that like the stuff is still going on and that it's happening at the biggest companies and it still seems to be pretty widespread throughout the industry, despite people thinking it's getting better. It's obviously things like this. It's like, well, if we're getting better. Some of these more extreme stuff wouldn't be happening, right? Like that, that's us. That stuff should have been happening like 10, 15 years ago when mm-hmm. like these, you know, these movements started to begin to kind of call out these people. And it's just, it's like, yeah, I, I feel like maybe some people aren't really learning. They're saying, oh, they're just saying what you want to hear and hoping they get a pass sometimes. They just desperately want it like, to go away. Like, a little bit with Ubisoft, yeah. that's been some of the newer accusations with Ubisoft is that like nothing really nothing changed, changed over yeah. there. I mean, and it's in different ways that this has been happening. I know this might not be in your notes, but while we're getting ready for this, uh, Insomniac Games, the about uh, Ratchet and Clank, about how the female wombat, one of the now departed developers, was saying how they had to fight to like not make her have like wider hips, like bigger breasts, mm. stuff like that, to like get the look that they have for her now. And it's like even like stuff like that is you know kind of still going on and. It's like as respected as some of these developers are, and as great of games they make, it's like everyone has blind spots, and it's like right. I guess people still need to be calling it out to remind everyone, because otherwise they won't learn. But also at the same time, there are definitely people who don't seem to be learning at all, even when they're being called out for it. So it's like yeah. a pretty widespread problem. Um, and an important thing to point out is it's not like this is, and and not that. You know, allegations shouldn't be seriously considered in multiple contexts, but this isn't somebody just angrily posting on Twitter, right? Like, this right. isn't, this is the state of California being yeah. like, we're coming for your ass. Uh, and so I think that gives it uh, kind of a, a, a level of credibility and seriousness where it's like, holy cow, like this. There's going to be a reckoning here. Or ho- you hope there's going to be a reckoning. Yeah, I, I think there's still some questions as to like how like it, it's it it get when it gets on this level of like a state versus a gigantic corporation, it, yeah. it becomes like what is actually happening here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they say you know this is a result of a you know two years of investigation in which right. apparently behind the scenes they've already been ta- talking to the company, uh, but you know Activision Blizzard fired back with this just like really offended um I really want to talk about their their response because that's like (laughs) that's one of the worst parts about this whole thing yeah right uh because their response was like you just read it and you felt like you needed to take a shower because it starts out where they're like harassment shouldn't happen in any industry but then they're like fuck you guys we really care about diversity and like statements are good and it's this type of behavior that's forcing companies in California and it just felt like oh yeah when they're talking about them like pushing people out of the state and this doesn't have a place in the statement it was it was basically just using very PR speak but it, it, when you like kind of filtered through that, it w- it just felt like a child that got reprimanded, where their first instinct was like, "But we've done good things too, and fuck you guys!" Like it just felt, it felt very like immature and insecure to the point where it almost like lended believability to the accusations. Like they, as, as as much as they possibly could in this PR speak, sounded wounded or Jeez. sounded like angry, like this was really getting to them. It didn't 
there was nothing about their tone that made you think like, oh, okay, like maybe there is something going on here. Like it, I, I think it, in my eyes, hurt their image more than it helped them. Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's important, too, to, to say a few of the examples of what was cited and at least what I was reading. Like, because it's not just, you know, like people getting paid less or Passover for, you know, or like run of the mill harassment. It's like crazy. It's like systemic insanity. Like the one that the one that I heard, I mean, like there's there was there was uh, circulating nudes of one woman that worked there. Like, well, mm. there was a thing it's called. Im- it's important to contextualize that because that's that's really like the key example. Yeah, it's not just passing around nudes. It right. was at a company party. Right. Passing around nude photos of this woman's vagina who ended up killing herself. Right. Right. Like, like it gets. Yeah. That's that's it's the terrible. that's the level of like awful that we're dealing with and here. like the the one that, the other one that really shocked me was the cube crawls where like right apparently men would crawl drunkenly through the office through cubicles like and under women's cube like cubicles and shit it's just like why is this even tolerated at all that one like, was I kind of frustratingly everyone. vague yeah it was like, weird yeah like it it definitely uh seemed weird but they were just like People got really drunk and crawled through cubicles. And, like, naturally your brain is like, oh, I could see, like, so many ways that that could lead to, you know, a a lot of, like, obvious situations. But they didn't quite go that far in specifying that. Like, you you assume that, but uh, they just just said people got really drunk and crawled through cubicles. Yeah, like... The frat boy culture that Bloomberg said, it it fits. Joking about... Rape. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it, in front of women and stuff. It's just yeah, just like and overt. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's important not to be sanctimonious about this because like there are cases where like like I've told jokes and I'm like, ah oh, man, I shouldn't have said that, or like you know, sometimes things go wrong. It's not about like individual instances like that. It's about like an institutionalized and sy- systemic like culture and environment that becomes abusive to the point where like people are becoming suicidal yeah like, i i think it's like the the broad picture that is really uh worth focusing on here and and trying to address well and i liked what you said before ben about how like we know about ubisoft and we know about activision but like fuck is this is this all of them at this? Because Riot had it too. Like, is it right. just is it just everywhere? Is it endemic to the whole industry? And mm-hmm. like at this point, it seems like shit. It must be, like besides little indies, at which some of which have have, you know, had reports as well. Yeah. Like some pretty bad ones. Like, is it just because like a lot of these people who get fired then go and start their own thing too? So it's just mm-hmm. like, what's the deal? It's it's systemic for sure. And I I think a uh, big reason. You know, obviously this is super worth talking about on its own, but it's it's kind of disgusting. This is compounded by the fact that the last two years we haven't had a lot of positive things to say about Blizzard, uh, both in terms of just the quality of their product and B, the the stances that they're choosing to take or how they're choosing to represent themselves, right? Like we've spent a lot of time talking about the Blitzchung controversy with Hearthstone. Yeah. Um, 
you know, they had the whole Warcraft 3 Reforged debacle. It's just like, and then on top of that, you have this truly like mass exodus uh, of key people from Blizzard that are just gone now. Like it's tons and tons of them, as well as, you know, Activision Blizzard doing massive layoffs for people. And it's like, this just sounds like hell. Like this just sounds like a living, like it's not, it's not just these awful, you know, sexual harassment claims, this, this misogynistic culture. It, it's like, this just seems rotten to the core and it's, it's like coming out through the games. It feels like almost. And, uh, I was watching, um, Asmongold, who is a very avid, uh, WoW streamer who's now streaming 14, and he had a really good point where he's like, you know, even though you as the consumer are not responsible for these horrible things, like, you kind of pay the price, right? Because when you have this type of culture, when you have this type of environment, it comes through in the games. Like, the games are going to suffer. They're going to be less good than they could be because the people that are toiling to make them, and we know time and time again how how hell is just making a game is right like yeah. it's it's amazing that anything comes out at all with a lot of the stories that we've heard now imagine trying to make a game where like you don't know if you're going to be sexually harassed that day and the kind of just like mental anguish that you're going or through. even worse you know you're going to be sexually harassed that day yeah mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it right like i was reading about the um, skull and bones thing and just like the weird mismanagement of that leading to eight years of development hell yeah that's that's mm. coming up <laughs> okay and but like it's a similar story it's a similar vibe to what you're saying ben is just like what's going on where like the management of these companies like do they just cycle through and then junior members get promoted up who don't have the skill set to run a company or run a project let alone like the emotional maturity to deal with situations like this or discipline their their um, direct reports for the beha- bad behavior. Like, I don't know. It's weird. It's They say too big to fail in that thing. And it's like all these companies kind of have that vibe where it's like there's no accountability, nothing changes because in the end, like, it's societally acceptable. It's uh – it's funny that you bring up the Ubisoft Singapore stuff because reading through that, the there's and, and and it's not just this. You can find other examples of this as well. But in the the Blizzard report, the Activision Blizzard report, and the Ubisoft Singapore report, you see like, hey, we went to HR and they're like, yeah, we can't do anything or we're right. not going to do anything because they're too senior. And it's just like that. Just trying to put yourself in that person's shoes and going. To the department of your company whose sole job it is is to fight to work through this stuff and just have them give you nothing. Like right. that has to be the most like debilitating, deflating experience. And it's like, how do you have how do you have any passion or drive to do what you're doing in a highly creative and competitive field if no one has your back? When I think about that thing, what was it? I think it was at Defy, actually, where, like, that story came out about harassment. And then part of the story was, like, yeah, this was reported to HR, like, a year ago. Mm. And no Mm. one did anything. And it's, like, without the weight of public shame, nothing changes and no one ever does anything about it. And it's, like, 
it's it's good that there's a lawsuit and that it's public and that examples are public because now people are mad, right? Like right. Ubisoft, people got mad and then Ubisoft did some kind of like hand wavy like apology and like people are it cooled off, right? But like a lawsuit keeps that pressure on and like maybe yeah. there will be something to it to happen, right? Yeah, I I do think the lawsuit is is important here because you mentioned like um public shame and and how crucial that is and I want to believe that. I want to believe that that's true, but you know, Ubisoft it's true except w- when it isn't, right? Yeah, Ubisoft like got thrown into the fire, right? And they they had very weak, you know, acknowledgement of of what was going on. They were like we're going to be better, and then months go by and you get another report and they're like, "Yeah, nothing has changed." Like they're not interested in being better. Right. They're, right. they're just not. They just want to do the absolute bare minimum so that it goes away. Because it's a, it's a, it's, it's the most. I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but like, it's like that thing at Fight Club with the insurance companies doing the risk assessment, where they're like, if a recall is cheaper than, like, the lo- settlements of people right. dying, they mm-hmm. just won't do it, or vice versa, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, they're. It, it it does start to feel like corporations are just like playing the waiting game with with disgruntled employees, mm-hmm. meaning employees who are being actively harassed, uh, either waiting for them to just like fall in line or quit. Mm-hmm. And it's like because they don't, it doesn't affect their bottom line, so they don't care to change it. They don't need to change it. Yeah, and the I don't remember exactly where I was reading it, uh, so forgive me. But there was a there was a woman who left. Blizzard, uh, it, you know, because it was it was wrapped up in all of this, and 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 it made her very uncomfortable. And she was like, "This was my dream. Like, this right. was what I right. wanted. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to leave. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to leave. And it's just like, it makes your, it makes your stomach churn. Like, imagine, imagine getting your dream job, and then just this den of shitty wolves that don't think the rules apply to them or they they don't have to treat people like human beings. It's right. Well, and also just, like, some people just, you know, I mean, most people need a job to live. And, like, you know, it's it's easy to, to react and say, like, well, if it's if it's a bad environment, quit, leave, you know. But it's not that simple. Like, people can't just quit a job, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know um – you guys didn't want to emphasize the inequity stuff as much, but I I do think that in some ways that like all of it. Yeah, <laughs> I I think that you know like different people have different things that they can react to, and so like I think some people can kind of you know block out just guys you know water cooler talk or whatever, and mm-hmm. and 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 they can kind of put their heads down and just like all right, I'm not going to let this affect me. But I think some of these other things were. You know, they have managers or HR telling them essentially that, like, hey, your work's not good enough. And I saw something that, like, where somebody was having having to basically, like, they had to, like, make a list of, like, everything that they were doing all day. Mm-hmm. Their male coworkers didn't have to do this, right? Right. And, you know, it's like if you had a conversation with somebody, you have to write that down and you have to do this. And you just, like, have to kind of prove your worth in a way that other people aren't being expected to do. Right. And I think that kind of thing can get in your head a lot mm-hmm. easier and, and it can be more debilitating in the long term because it's, it's kind of like puts you in like this almost like imposter syndrome kind of thing. Right. It was like, I, I'm not good enough to be here. And, you know, I try to, you know, tell HR and they're like, well, you know, maybe maybe you should be doing better. And, right. 
you know, but then if you like look at their coworkers and they're like, no, you're amazing. You're doing an excellent work. Mm-hmm. But they're not being told that from the people that are supposed to be the ones telling them that. Yeah. One example in there that I, I had seen was a, one woman, like demonstrably, just on paper, she had, I don't know if she had closed twice as many accounts or handled twice as many projects as her male counterpart. Yeah. And I then think he it, I got think it was the a community manager. Right. And then he got the promotion. Mm. Uh, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you, if, I'm referencing a different thing, but I think I think there was a community manager who was pregnant and, like, near the end of her pregnancy, had to go to the bathroom a lot and got like reprimanded for that. Oh gosh! And then like was like I had to be hospitalized for dehydration, and it's like that. Uh, like, imagine your only value being what you can you can have no life there can be no accommodations for you uh you know if you're just some grunt on the the rung of the ladder at the bottom like all you are is productivity you know you can't have you can't spend time with your family you can't cultivate meaningful relationships but then the people at the top can bring butt plugs and lubrication and just kind of quietly walk away from the whole thing where that's like they can they it's just like they're they're living in entirely different worlds and it's it's just super unfair. Well, and not always even the people at the top. It's like your peers, your the people under you are, can behave however they want and see no repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make sound like you're going to say something. With all the money Bobby has, better have some good lawyers, man. Right. Not paying your employees well either. Well, so. and that's the thing with the statement. It's just like, man, it's just like once would you say like, hey, we think that some of the details are wrong, but we're going to just, you know, right. we're going to do everything that we can to make amends and like, you know, how, yeah, why not Bobby just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to like defer my salary for five years and, you know, put that money into fixing some of these things. Right. But no, you never get that. You just get like a full on, you know, we're going to fight this in court. It, but it's, it's, man, like if you think, the details of the the allegations are, are incorrect or you think that the people conducting the investigation haven't done their due diligence, those are totally appropriate things to feel and to fight against, right? But when you're facing down these kinds of, of allegations, right, you don't do it in the way that they did it where it was like this sneering like anger and like, oh, how could you? Right. And like, I I think the thing that is even more upsetting is, you know, I said the word sanctimonious earlier and it's like you go and you watch BlizzCon and Blizzard is very happy to get out there and, you know, parade equality and and parade progressiveness uh, and, and, you know, parade like, oh, Blizzard games are for everybody. And it's like the foundation of everything you are selling is, is under attack, and so you can't you can't have this like oh how could they accuse me of this uh, attitude? I don't think. Yeah, well, and, and we were talking about this before, but it's also it's just it's really difficult to wrap your head around, you know, how widespread this could be, like which actual you know buildings and departments and studios. It's you know because you know I even saw people you know that had worked there and had gone through this to say like well I'm still really proud of my work and I still yeah. really have like people that I respect at this company, you know and you know and there are people you know that are probably in another building in another studio that they're not dealing with this and now they're looking across and like what are you 
guy's doing, you know, and just, you know, and just like that embarrassment, right? Of mm-hmm. like, how do you even process that angle of things? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's weird too to like, because exp- I mean, we see so many examples of this, and like, just to to be dramatic and play the like, oh, capitalism card or whatever, but like, the Bobby like doesn't care. He doesn't have a reason to care. He might not even know about this stuff because he exists in a different reality. Like, you see it on every stage of society. Like, you know, power corrupts, right? Like, the more power and influence you have or think you have, the the worse you treat other people and the more removed from empathy you seem to become. At least that there are examples of that all over the place. And, like... These stories coming out over and over and over again, it just seems to reinforce that to me. Like, yeah, you know, like the 1% or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, but it just becomes more and more concrete with, with every story like this to me. I think personally why this story uh, just kind of punches through a little bit harder is <laughs> for for a very, very, very long time. Everything I've ever seen about Activision makes this just totally unsurprising. But the Blizzard side of things, it wasn't all that long ago. Like, I've been to five or six... I've been to a number of BlizzCons, right? And, you know, I jumped at the chance to go because there was a point in time where I lived and breathed and ate and slept Blizzard because... It felt like they cared, and you would go to BlizzCon, and you would see, like, how attached to these things people were. You know, you'd go to the panels, and, like, the questions that people would ask, the cosplay shows, it just was like, it, I don't know, it was, it, was a, it was an actual community, like, as, as crazy as it is to say, and it felt like it was something to really be, like, cherished and fostered, and it's bewildering that over the last few years i i don't even have like a shred of that feeling anymore like i don't yeah. feel any kinship at all i don't feel any respect i don't feel any passion it's just products on a conveyor belt and i think they're fortunate enough that they have done so many great things so many monumental games um and and done right by the community for years and years and years that they still have been able to uh, retain some of that. But I don't think that is, that is going to last um, forever. And I, I, th- I honestly think the uh, surge in final fantasy 14, the, the 14 versus wow comparisons are very fascinating and kind of play into all of this, but like it, it's just, it's, it's soul crushing to see a company that had so much, like so much of real value, like something actually genuine, just shit all over it. Like I, it, it breaks my heart. And like, it makes me think back to the, the controversy that they had with, um, you said his name, but I can't remember his Blitzchung. name. Blitzchung. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the courting of Chinese markets, like, it's an interesting thing because it's like you see Tencent and stuff. It's just like, if you get into that market, America doesn't really matter. Like, and like what we are hand wringing our 
you know, moralizing doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Like you'll make so much money that it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they could close American offices and it wouldn't affect the bottom line. But I think that's, that's exactly what I'm, I'm trying to say. Right. It's like, it used to feel like the decisions they were making weren't because like it didn't have to matter. Like they can do a bunch of things that are callous and cold I but, mean, even as recently as Overwatch, right? Right, like, like, right. There was a lot of heart in that project. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I mean, though, is it, it felt like the, the guiding hand there wasn't, you know, what do we have to do? It's like, we want to do this. We think this is so special and so cool, and we can't wait uh, to to show it off to people. And it's... Yeah, I brought it up as a means to, like, agree with you. Like, right. that, that seemed, like, out of character for them. Yeah. It was like It was like, you're following the money? Like, when did that start? I mean, obviously, right. they've always wanted to make money, but... Yeah. Woof. Yeah, and it's it's sad because I cannot I'm I cannot wait to to play Diablo 2 Resurrected. Um but I think the reason I'm so excited is because it's like, oh yeah, it's like this is what this is what Blizzard used to feel like. Like right. I, I I think <laughs> I honestly nostalgic. think right. Yeah, I think that's what's driving so much of that excitement. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that's another studio yeah, and another even, another yes. state, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes exactly. me feel conflicted about four though. Like Diablo Four, because it's like I want to be excited, but it's like uh, like I don't know. <laughs> it's it's just complicated emotionally, yeah. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. If you dread looking at your credit card statements, you're not alone. Debt can feel crippling, but Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score and is expanding access to affordable credit. Unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash easyallies. That's upstart.com slash easyallies. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash easyallies. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Life is full of stressors. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have, your life is probably stressful. You may not be feeling down and out depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strain in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased about your life, someone who isn't going to judge you or take sides on anything. When there are things you can't tell anyone, you need to unload it, and that's what therapy can be. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Easy Allies listeners get 10% off of their first month at BetterHelp.com allies. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash allies. And if you 
are a patron of Easy Allies. Thank you. Okay, next up we've got two Ubisoft stories. I think we'll just kind of combine them together. Um, both kind of messy in kind of different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a new game announcement that just kind of jumped out of nowhere called yeah. X Defiant. Uh, and then we got a big, big expose, uh, a lot of detail on uh, Skull and Bones in the eight years of development there uh, that, that Kotaku did. Uh, but let's talk about X Defiant first, Ben. I think you're really the, the, the one who's looked at that the most and really yeah. had the most reaction to it. Yeah, it was uh, the Hotake on the latest episode of Frame Trap, Frame Trap 138, and uh, I was pretty pretty amped up about it, Uh, and that was Huber and myself uh, and Brad talking about it. And so, like, I'm almost hesitant to just kind of regurgitate what I said, and I definitely want to give you guys a chance to give your thoughts on it, but basically, uh, it really ties into all this Blizzard stuff that we've been talking about, where... um, it just feels soulless. I, I don't think there's a better word for it where like everything feels like kind of um, co-opted in a way that feels so insincere. Like even the like highlighted XD, you know, just like trying to incorporate internet culture, saying it's punk rock, but not really fighting, <laughs> punk rock, not, right. not really fighting against anything or having any sort of message or, or being anti-establishment in any way. Um, and then, you know, supposedly being a, a celebration of Ubisoft and, and what makes those games special. And it seems, at least in the reveal trailer, you know, about as far as they go is here's the Splinter Cell night vision goggles, right? Which, which it's it just, I don't know, it just feels like nothing. And, you know, I said this um, on Frame Trap. It's like I, I haven't played the game. I could be totally wrong. Right. I think it's 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 easy to be cynical about these games in the outset and then be proven wrong um, later on. Like Pokemon Unite is a good example. I was playing that uh, today, uh, digging into that, and I've been really enjoying it so far. And I had nothing but <laughs> apathy to express towards it before. And so your your opinion can definitely change. Yeah, I think for me, just like a lot of it, just feels kind of dissonant, right? Like a hero shooter. But Tom Clancy, but punk rock—it's like it feels like it was made by an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and you know, and like I don't mean this to be like you know like insulting or anything, but it does feel to me like a like a game that was made for China. You know, yeah. you were talking about the Chinese market earlier, and it's right. like if Ubisoft makes a game that the Chinese market will like, then they don't have to care if we like it. You know, like, it, yeah, they'll they'll get their audience and they'll get a lot of people playing it. The thing is, is like. I feel like I would almost be more okay with it if, like, that was the, if that was what they said. Like, you can't shove this nothingness in front of me and be like, "We are so excited! Here's all the people. We're, this is such a special thing, you know." And it's just like that. That you know, you said the word dissonance there, and I think that's absolutely right. Is it's like what you're selling in the way that you're presenting it is. I feel like they're completely at odds with each other. Uh, the other thing that was funny to me that I do want to bring up is the way that they revealed this and promoted this. Because <laughs> they were like, hey, we're going to have a big reveal for you tomorrow. And then they had multiple people, outlets and influencers, post clips. These quick little like 15-second clips from their gameplay. And like, we're, we're, we're looking at the game. What do you, you mean you're revealing this tomorrow? We're looking at it. Mm-hmm. 
and it just looks like Call of Duty to me from this brief amount of time that I'm getting to look at it. And then whenever the reveal happened and I didn't even bother to look at it, I saw the name and I saw the press release and I kind of moved on. I, I was incensed because they're like, okay, it's a shooter, so above all, the gunplay's gotta be good. And it's like, Fucking duh. Like, what does that mean? How are you making it good? How is this different from any other shooter? Like, I like, I, I know. I assume that the gunplay needs to be good. Well, also, oh like, these God. two dudes standing in a warehouse talking business over this gameplay while explaining that it's punk rock. That's, like, the least punk rock thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh everything is like completely uninteresting to me about this yeah. they seem to be like they're trying to make such a big big deal about this and i was like you made one of the most least exciting announcements of 2021 so far i was like congratulations is like man you might be right but maybe it is despite them telling it to our face you should be excited maybe this isn't right. for us mm-hmm. and you know time will tell and maybe it actually will end up being really good but like man talk about like one of the worst first impressions you can make yeah. it's like wow the, no one really cares. They're not going to care about this for a while until you get some hands-on with this. So good luck with that. You know, it's not like they have any other troubled developments going on as well. Well, it's funny because I I feel like it's such a machine that they can just kind of do things until it works out. Like like no one remembers Hyperscape, and that was Ooh. not long ago, yeah. right? And is that, that was shut a, down, or is it still kicking around? Does it matter? <laughs> right. It's just it's just it's just like it's just like. They're at it. Uh, like, imagine, go with me on this metaphor, right? Ubisoft is just this person sitting in a computer, and all these projects are like icons on the desktop. And it's just like, ah, you know, Hyperscape didn't work out, and they just click and they just drag it to the recycling bin, right? That's that's what it feels like. It's just of no consequence, really. Like they they just they have so many things, and enough of them are mega successes that it just kind of doesn't matter. But it makes it hard then to get excited at all. Um, and then the other thing they announced in October 2020 that it failed to meet expectations and they're going to overhaul the game's gameplay and systems but that was the the, well then that leads right into Skull and Bones (laughs) 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 the the refusal to kill a thing that's not working well they legally can't well apparently yeah yeah, yeah, that's that's the really interesting part (laughs) some agreement with Singapore that they have to release but the thing is, they don't have well, to release this game. Right, it just has they to be some some a new different IP. game. Yeah, like <sighs> just crap together a, a match well, three and put it out in Singapore or whatever. I mean, like, w- yeah, but you know, eight years, right? All the time like, developing all of those assets, you know, putting all that effort into it. I think from a production standpoint, then developing the assets again. I think that's called the sunk cost fallacy. Then no, developing the assets again. <laughs> I understand. I'm just developed? saying, like, I think it would be better to just release a whatever thing f- from their perspective. I'm not saying right. this is the right thing to do. I'm just saying, like, from their eyes, it's probably better to release this thing as is, even if it's terrible, than completely try to make a brand new game it doesn't seem that way it doesn't seem like this game has enough organization to be completed at this point yes Uh, but i don't because of that i don't think they have the organization to do anything else 
and and that's that's really uh, you know if you haven't dug into the story yet, that's really the the kind of the crux of this. They they compared it to Anthem of all things. Oh, um, no. Is that there is there's no direction, and what mm. direction that they have had continues to change. So people will work towards one thing, and then somebody at corporate will see it and be like, well, you know, this is our feedback, and then they'll go back and they'll change it to go back in this other direction, and then. You know, and, and they did, they keep shifting things around. And so, you know, at one point it was part of Assassin's Creed. And then another point, it's just, you're just going to be controlling ships. And then they decide, well, we need to really have, like, people walking around. and But the thing's not made for people walking around. And, right. And it just keeps changing and changing. And meanwhile, again, like, the people that are having to make the assets, the technology is getting beyond them. And so right. now they have to... <laughs> make a new engine and they have to make new textures and just just a, a horrible nightmare mm-hmm. yeah. of working on this project. Yeah. I feel like this goes back to something you were talking about earlier, Isla, but just slightly different context, but same point that man, maybe there just aren't, you know, a lot of like managers being groomed correctly in, you know, this industry because so much mismanagement of projects, this, you know, this right here. It's just like what's going on with like a lot of these projects, like even with like what we were just talking about before, it's like, is was there no one that could see how obvious like this is not right, mm-hmm. and and how are you gonna do a project without any kind of vision? So especially something like like a, a, a like a pirate theme game, like a seafaring game, it's like it's already a pretty hard sell. I feel like, right. and once Sea of Thieves came out, it's like you gotta pick something now and go with it, and it's like. Obviously, it sounds some of it was reactionary, but at the same time, it sounded like problems were going on long before Sea of Thieves well, ever showed up, too. There was a point where it made a lot of sense, right? You think about the kind of when the like ship stuff was taking off in Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was very like largely well received, and like you know, tons of people played Assassin's Creed. And, and did the ship stuff, and so there's kind of like a natural flow from this to the other. There's points of comparison you can make, and it's like, oh, it's so much more fleshed out now. That time has long passed. Like, yeah, you can still use a boat in Valhalla, but that's not, that's not even like a bullet point on the box anymore. Like, there's so well, many other features now that, that it's, it's just the series has kind of moved on, and so, yes, this, this uh, naval battle pirate game doesn't really make sense anymore in the way that it used to. Well, and that's the wild irony of this to, to me, too, is like the very core inception, the beginning of this idea was, hey, we've got this cool boat tech. Why don't we just bang together a quick, like, right. multiplayer little thing and just throw it out yeah. there because we've yeah. got the stuff all done. Yeah. Like, it started, what started with a simple idea has t- ballooned into this monstrosity <laughs> for a decade almost. It's just wild. And, like... That's what's so nuts about, I mean, Damiani, you said sub, like you can't go into something without a plan. And like I was going to say that, that in gaming, because prototyping a game is a much more costly thing than like writing the screenplay to a, to a you know, say like a multi-million dollar sci-fi uh, film trilogy, um, you know, so like you could, you could come up with a plan really easily and then shift in the scripting stage. You only have four or five people involved. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people go into a trilogy without a plan, too, in, in big blockbusters. <laughs> but, like, this, you have to you have to spend a lot of money and have a big team to prototype something like this over and over and over again. And, like, that's how you get into that sunk cost fallacy thing where it's, like, 
they've gotten this thing to 35, 40% like six times, and it's got them convinced that they need to get it to 100% someday. But it's like, you've already gotten it to 200%, like cost wise. I just, I, in so many of these companies, I don't understand how they get set on these massive scales for things that should be the scale of it should right. be a fraction of what it yeah. is well they should have just puked it out like they said in the beginning well and that's part of the the craziness with this story is it's not just this core team of people that you know there, there should be like a small team of like 30 people that are like okay we're gonna we're gonna nail down we're gonna gray box this thing we're gonna figure out what the game actually is, right? Mm-hmm. Before we start, you know, building out like I don't know how many ship assets and textures and and everything that they're doing. Before we have a massive presentation at E3, but the opposite is happening. Yeah, more Several teams E3 from E3. around the world are now getting sucked into this project. Yeah, to try to save it, and it's not getting saved. Well, and it's interesting because. You know, people on the team they would get pulled off to work on things like Assassin's Creed, and they were like, it it became like a like a lifeboat where it's like, oh, thank God, like, thank you for saving me from this project. Uh, I mean, that's all you need to say. Yeah, it's like <laughs> this, I mean, yeah, I understand. Like, I, I don't know, I'm not a game developer. I don't understand, like, you know, how this can lead to this. It's like this, this reeks to me of like someone at Ubisoft is still convinced oh this is gonna be a big thing we just gotta keep at it like this is like this could have a big payoff someday like it's gonna be like a like a like another Fortnite or something like that just like the people at Capcom probably thought Reverse was like gonna be a big thing and stuff and wasted re- <laughs> like it's that type of mentality I think yeah, that leads R-E-verse to stuff like that similar, it's like what it what ooh, it's, it's like someone like like George Lucas go tell him this is a bad idea someone to stand up and say bad stop don't do but this but here's the problem they don't have a bad idea. They don't have an idea. <laughs> yeah. They they could go in any of these directions, but it keeps shifting on them. That's what's so interesting about the like this AAA design environment instead of well, I know a few indie devi- environments where this following a big success like you you can kind of spin your wheels for a year or two and and brainstorm on like boots on the ground like this like on the fly come up with your game while you're making it you know but like most of the other time you've got to pitch an idea and then you make that idea but like in these big development houses they don't have to do that so they can get trapped like this it's so wild this i guess isn't directly related to skull and bones but the the whole corporate like we gotta follow the success is infuriating because you like look at Fortnite in particular. Fortnite is an absolute miracle. It's a miracle right. that Fortnite happened because Fortnite was not conceptualized as this massive battle royale game that would change the world. It was looking at Minecraft and it was trying to be it was a completely different game with a completely different focus that was chasing after the trend at the time that was in development hell for forever. Yeah, it kind of failed. And truly <laughs> miraculously they were able to turn it around and so I I think it is just pure idiocy idiocy to go, "Oh, we need to copy that." And it's like it's amazing that that even happened. Like you don't you don't <laughs> understand. But it's like it's because these I I feel like you know, maybe not to be too presumptuous, but some of these, like, maybe younger producers 
They know people like to be fed those lines. It's like what the yeah. higher ups like to hear. That's what gets them the budgets, maybe. And so they they, they sell that concept. And it's like we're gonna go chase this, and like maybe that's why we're leading to so many of these projects. This being like so like haphazard, or yeah. you know, they end in failure like this. Is because well, they've had they issues with with management shifting yeah. around and stuff too. So that's I don't think they've had a clear leader throughout all of this so well and what's funny too about like using the example of Fortnite or, or PUBG, you know like the wild success and the popularity and the the user the install base on battle royales justifies a bunch of copycats right but like sea of thieves is i think currently the most popular pirate game and i don't think it's install base justifies another big pirate game like we have it. Yeah. We don't there's need. There's a few like, of them out there, actually. There's now. a few. That's, that's right. the other problem. There's there have been quite a few other pirate Right. Games. Like I don't think the market needs this, no matter what their idea ends up being. I mean, like unless they yeah. do make it a hardcore sim, like Sid Meier's Pirates or something, like which they said they tried for a second, and like maybe the current iteration is that with like a more of a survival, like Rust kind of vibe. It's like, okay, that's a different angle for a pirate thing. Like I could see that being popular if it's like rust sea of thieves but like still i don't know like the the cost that they've spent on it they're barely gonna make back i don't know the the other thing now is and i you know not that you didn't assume something was going wrong with skull and bones before right like it was pretty obvious but the detail of this report just puts a stink on this game that even when it comes out like you're gonna be going into the game knowing in detail the 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 hell that it went through and so it, like the the core gaming audience is going to have this kind of solidified skepticism that makes something that was already impossible to overcome like even that much of a higher hill like how do you save this game it's going to come full circle it's just going to come out as a mode for the assassin's creed the new platform oh, oh yeah. yeah there you go it's i don't I, honestly I don't. and they're going to introduce <laughs> it just like battlefield like we've been working like 10 years on this like well, we're very man. excited now to assassin's creed portal yeah <laughs> well wasn't the initial name of this like something infinite like it was that assassin's i don't creed think infinite. i wasn't oh, i don't yeah, think it was yeah, assassin's yeah. creed but uh, it, um, okay yeah, yeah yeah but it was definitely associated with assassin's creed yeah <laughs> My goodness. Oh, Damian, that's very funny. Also this week, uh, Tencent is buying Sumo Digital, $1.3 billion. So say goodbye to uh, Sackboy sequel. It, Maybe. This is, I, this is I don't know how Tencent works with this stuff, but yeah. This is hyperbole, but I feel like every episode of the podcast, it, it's like we could almost have a Tencent buys <laughs> segment in also this week. This should be the new bets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just bet on who yeah. buying each what? week. Yep. <laughs> uh, more Ubisoft news. Uh, Riders Republic and Rainbow Six Extraction both got pushed. Uh, Riders Republic was just about a month. Uh, Rainbow Six is uh, January now. So the the Extraction is is especially weird to me because that thing has been cooking for such a long time. They they finally show it off in pretty great detail, and then out of nowhere. You know, a month after E3, they're like, "Yeah, no, we're, it's not happening." I, it, yeah, that's it's concerning, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, what what pushes those schedules like that. Uh, Laver is making a two hundred and seventy-five dollar pair of sneakers and a seventy dollar hat based on the Sega Mega Drive. I, <laughs> I love me 
my Mega Drive, but uh, those shoes look like d- shit. They look really bad. <laughs> they look really cheap. Yeah, yeah. Well, they do. Uh, the 3DS and Wii U digital stores are removing the ability to pay with credit cards in Japan. Uh, would not be surprised to see that uh, end up coming this way. You can still uh, pay with wallet amounts and with gift cards. Uh, uh, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of what we saw with PlayStation when, you know, they, they're they still going to be doing it on PlayStation. But yeah, they, they were saying we got to pull off these, these PS3 and these PSP stores. This would maybe be uh, less of an issue if the hmm. the Switch had a lot of these sweet-ass virtual console games available right. uh, in a way that was convenient and easy to access. It's the Nintendo. You don't like Jelly yeah, Boy? Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Japan got Shin Megami Tensei, and we got fucking Jelly Boy! Uh... Following up on last week's uh, news, Netflix uh, confirmed they will be focusing on uh, mobile titles for their initial video game strategy, uh, and uh, it's going to be included in your subscription cost. That's, yeah. I'm surprised about that last part. I think this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be... Uh, I'm curious where it's going to go from here. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what the games look like. But it lines up with what we were saying last week in terms of the background of the person they had hired and Mm -hmm. and all of that. So obviously, since they just hired that person, I'm guessing it's going to be a while. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Also, I didn't Netflix just announce like three new video game adaptations? Like it's going to get to the point... Where they're they're going to be stretched for like what do we adapt next? And it's going to be like, well, here's the Gex movie or something. Like, it's just, <laughs> yo, I'd watch it. Yeah, I would. I, that would be great. I'm just saying, like, they, it's just like it's gotten so constant that I forgot a Dynasty Warriors movie is on there. Yeah. Right. Um, and finally, uh, New World is bricking EVGA <laughs> 3090s. This is, this is nuts. Uh, nice. It seems like there's a patch out now that might address it. Uh, for for some people, but it's uh, yeah, it's a combination of apparently some flaw with those 3090s and mm. some flaw with New World, and just basically sent them using all their power until they burn themselves out. Can you imagine <laughs> getting a 3090 after <laughs> trying so hard, paying thirteen hundred dollars or whatever? Being really excited about getting into How the how much new, money did you say? Or fourteen, fifteen, whatever. Tried two thousand. Two thousand. Okay, even worse. Being really excited to get into the New World beta, and then it bricks your fucking $2,000. God, it sucks. And they can't replace it. That's crazy. (laughs) It's time for love and respect. Love Love and respect. respect. Man, I feel like we could just title the episode of this podcast, Hell World. (laughs) (laughs) Well, continuing on that. Oh, gosh. uh, DJ Deathcool. In regards to the Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft controversies, I am a video professional who's worked in a variety of jobs making my way into the video games industry. Has been a long-term dream of mine. We talked about this, dream jobs. Uh, But after today's news, I can say with confidence, my desire to work in the industry is dead. Mm -hmm. My question for the team, does news as massive and as bleak as this impact your desire to continue working in the industry? Does it inspire the team to come up with more creative content that doesn't depend on video games? I'm in a pretty bleak place after this news, and I'm curious the kind of direct impact it makes on you all as people who work in the industry. Thanks a bunch. 
Um, very good question. You know, I can't I can't speak for the other seven people of this company, but I think I you know I get immensely frustrated and jaded. I think with certain things that happen in the industry, but like none of that applies to Easy Allies itself. You know, like I I love working here and I I love you guys and I'm close to all of you and so I think I think we're fortunate enough to be like part of a good company but I can imagine people coming into this industry especially on the development side the production side the marketing side it is having an impact I mean because the people the people that are applying for those jobs the ones that will get it are very smart people very up-to-date people like they're following along they know what's happening that they're, they're reading the the temperature and i can imagine it would scare you away because not only do you have to deal with potentially like horrible abusive workplace environments even if you don't have that right like let's say you work at a pretty cool studio you have to deal with irate fans who like <laughs> will get mad that your game has some bugs, right? And we'll send you death threats over that, right? So it's like, that's a whole nother layer on the shit cake that you have to get through. And like, that's been very evident for a super long time. And now more and more, you know, toxic workplace environment things are, are coming to light. So yeah, I, I can imagine it's steering people away. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's very disheartening to read, uh, especially on my like own social media feed, about other people who work in more in the journalistic capacity, who are just like have had it mm -hmm. with how things have been going, and to a point where a few of them are just saying like, "I can't wait to get out of this shit show and go anywhere else yeah. but here." Mm -hmm. And it's that's not good. Even if we haven't like great here at Easy Allies, like it's still not good from the industry at large is basically sending that message to all the younger generation and to like anyone interested at any age to jump into this industry. It's pushing people away and we will all feel the consequences of that if it keeps going in that direction. So right. definitely needs to be remedied and uh, I don't know like the like the, I don't know the perfect solution other than to say that, you know, we just need to be better at, you know, holding people accountable and calling out when this shit happens and trying to like point out as much of the positive stuff that's still happening and you know like right. putting like a spotlight on that stuff because it can also get overwhelmed with a lot of negativity sometimes and there's still good things that are going on in this industry and it's like don't want them to get like overshadowed and like drowned out sometimes even though as important as this stuff is this still needs to be heard but you know there's still like some good you know, as like Sam, as uh, Samwise Gamgee said in Lord of the Rings, there's still some good, you know, in the world out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, oh, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, I, I completely agree, and I, I think about, I mean, yeah, like Ben said, in our job, you know, for me personally, it's more like the comments or social media stuff, like the fandom that that threatens my enjoyment of this industry more than, because we don't deal with corporate BS directly. Like we're we're very fortunate in that regard, but. As far as to to the um, to the asker here, like I think about my friends who work at like Glitch City or other indie outfits, you know, and I think that like so many of them just have such lovely experiences uh, working with smaller teams of, you know, eight ten people, and like yeah, sure, sometimes you have to, uh, you know, 
people have to be fired or whatever, but like there are communities you can find within this industry that are truly wonderful. Uh, like one of the devs from Samurai Gun, like saw our stream and reached out to me on Twitter and was like, it was so much fun watching you guys. Like it was so great. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, that's awesome. And like, I know some of those guys personally and it's just like, it's out there. That stuff is there. Like having worked in corporate settings before, like I feel very fortunate that I don't have to do that anymore. Like I don't like it. And, uh, that for me personally, and I think that we're very fortunate that we don't have to do that. Sometimes you don't have that option, but I would say look into smaller outfits. Um, if it's your passion, you know, like, don't work for Activision. Try to work for Yacht Club or try to work for, you know, a team of 10 people or something. Like, it, it's out there is all yeah. I'm saying. Taking what you're saying, Isla, and, and wrapping it back around, I think it's in, incredibly telling that truly tons of people, like some of the best and brightest that have left Blizzard, they have gone on to form their own small studio. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there are people that are, you know, despite the fact that there's all these acquisitions and, and buying, uh, you know, companies buying each other up right now, there are also quite a few people that are announcing new companies, right? Like mm. the, uh, you know, we're talking about Dead Space, the, yeah. the team that's making the Callisto protocol or whatever, you know. Right. They're just getting started up. You know, I see people hiring all the time. So it, it, it is difficult you know, to try to find your place. Um, because I think another, you know, even if we're not dealing with someplace that's totally toxic or anything, sometimes it's just about having that sort of vibe right. right. You know, being with a group of people that you just sort of mesh with. Yeah. And if you get that right, then sometimes, like, even if you are working longer hours, if everybody's having a blast doing it and you're not feeling burnt out, like, some of that is okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of that before you get to the the crunch level of where you're just like grinding your life away, like you know, working long hours on a project and then seeing it come to fruition can be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like it's it's about how well you're meshing together, how well your voice is being heard. You know, if something is going wrong, do you actually have an outlet for it to be addressed or not? You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of that you can only really get by you know trying to get a hold of people that. They're already working there and seeing, you know, how their experiences and what their personality is like. And that's that's totally true, Bloodworth. Yeah, of of every industry. Like, I don't know this person's life situation, you know, but like, giving up white male privilege was definitely something I've noticed, <laughs> like personally. And like, if you don't fit into that box, and if you check, you know, like if you're a person of color, if you're queer, whatever, like you know, there are these challenges, like other things and like any industry that you're in, you know, is, has those challenges for women, for anybody, you know, and like, not to say that, you know, white men don't also face these challenges, but like, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, if if it's your dream to work in games, don't give up on it for this reason, because mm-hmm. this reason is in every industry. Um, right. And, you know, you can yeah. find you can find the good apples, the good places in this industry. And if you quit this industry, you'd have to do the same in any other industry. And what I, what I think is truly poison, like it, it's tough because in a lot of ways, this has been kind of a depressing podcast talking about depressing news because these things do need to be talked about and, and discussed. They are going on. But 
removed from that, you know, social media and a lot of the news that we consume is fundamentally built to be shocking and depressing yes. and to make yes. you angry, right? It is a lot of it feeds off outrage. Um, and again, not that there aren't totally valid things that you should be outraged about, but I think it is easy to kind of fall into like the doom scrolling mindset of everything always everywhere is bad. And that's just not a healthy and productive mindset for anybody. I mean, there's, 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 there are good things happening in this industry. There are games coming out all the time that will put a smile on your face that didn't kill people to make them. And so um, I do think sometimes it's important to take a step back to kind of get away from the, the like meat grinder of social media and remind yourself why you liked this stuff in the first place. Here, here. Not nearly as depressing. From JG. Nice. Hey, allies. If Kirby used this copy ability on you, what would be the special ability that he gets from you? What does he look like? Ooh. <laughs> hmm. That's tricky. <laughs> that is tricky. Because <laughs> yeah, Kirby already can, like, with his body shape and stuff, he can, like, fit into, like, any kind of, like, shape and tight spaces. Because I say, like, something to do with, like, collision detection. But, like, Kirby kind of already has got that going for them. So, like, <laughs> kind of at a, at a loss here for what power Kirby would get if he copied from me. Um, he could beat FTL. Kirby already would like man, you don't understand. Kirby is like more powerful than any Dragon Ball character. Like Kirby is True. the most powerful thing in not only Nintendo universe, but like in in existence. Could, so <laughs> Kirby's a god. Yeah, he survived. So, Kirby's like, a god. All of the Smash Brothers. Yeah, he in. saved Smash Brothers. There would be no <laughs> Smash Brothers without Kirby. Damiani, my mind kind of went in the same place. So I thought maybe to like make this question like a little bit easier to process, be like imagine. Like a, a, a hyper exaggerated version of yourself, you know what I mean. So it's like it's not just like he's ingesting you in this world. You're in the Kirby world. So what qualities that you have that you could maybe like amplify and contextualize in the world of Kirby? Kirby. Kirby swallows me. He is going to come back and transform into. A cat girl. <laughs> <laughs> Don't oh matter, you, you got something you want to say? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love that, Dobiati. Uh When Kirby ingests me, he puts on a chef's hat, and uh, he screams Hotake, and he has a flaming chopping fist. <laughs> That's perfect. Isla? Uh... Just like a uh, confidence. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can see that. Okay. I can see that. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Superpower, confidence. Yeah. Kirby yeah. eats me and just feels yeah. really good about himself. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. Sometimes. I, so I just imagine, you know, like when you, you, you get like a lump of clay and you like roll it out as like the snake. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love so, that. So I am, imagine Kirby kind of looking like that, but vertical. 
<laughs> oh my god! Bloody and then the glasses up there, and the and then the the arms towards the top. Um, but I think for the power, I think what w- what Kirby could do is the it would still have the suction, but it would like suck in like like just like a whole row of like books or papers or something, and then spit them all back out on a shelf, and they'll just be they'll just be in order. <laughs> Alphabetizing brand. Wow. <laughs> you you win, blood. Yeah. You definitely win. That was the best. I forgot to mention that with the confidence comes uh, depersonalization. So he loses all sense of reality. It's the world of Kirby. What sense of reality is there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You don't know until it's gone. You know? <laughs> okay, fair, fair. From Rodrigo. Hi, allies. Just as a video killed the radio star... Did remasters kill the virtual console? When I bought a Switch a couple years ago, I thought to myself that beyond the current catalog, I was buying into the promise that I'd eventually be able to play dozens of legacy titles in something akin to the virtual console. Needless to say, it wasn't really the case. Similarly with Sony, if I feel like playing something retro, it'll be on my old PS3, which is where the store still sells those old PS1 and PS2 games that just seem to vanish on PS4 and probably won't be sold on PS5. My reasoning is, did companies realize that instead of putting everything into a store and selling old games for 5 or 10 bucks, they could just package ports and remasters or something new and sell it for a higher price, either based on nostalgia possibly to boost sales of a new game coming up, or to boost sales of a new game coming up. Not just Nintendo and Sony, but Square, Konami, and so many others. It feels like things will never go back to being so simple as having something like Virtual Console when everyone wants to repackage and resell their old games. So do you think we will we should give up on virtual console and other legacy stores and by the same logic will we never see some older games on newer platforms i totally see where this email is coming from but i disagree with the premise uh because i think that is a natural thing to do and i've had that very same thought that the the uh question asker had but this this trend of remakes and remasters is not new to the last couple of years it's mm-hmm. it's it's really been like pretty dominant for a long time now and i think it comes down to more of interest level across a broad array of people right so you think about the wii and i, I want to bring up the switch in a second as well when the virtual console was announced <clears throat> at e3 i believe for the wii mm-hmm. the gaming nerds i don't even know if it was called the wii yet I think we we're still talking revolution. revolution. Yeah. Anyway, my point is, is like amongst that demographic, which you don't understand how small it is until you go outside of it, was super stoked about it. That is not what the story of the Wii is. The story of the Wii is branching out, reaching totally new markets that had never played video games before. It was about accessibility. It was about the way that you played was different, right? The virtual console is beloved, and rightfully so, but by a comparatively small percentage of people. Um, The Switch is kind of the same way, where, like, I get really mad that you get Jelly Boy instead of Shin Megami Tensei, (laughs) but when I talk to my nephew who has put in 1,250 hours into Fortnite on his Switch, he doesn't care, you know? Like, this is the Switch is his first video game console. He doesn't have that uh, love of those old games and those things, and so... Yes, I think it would be nice, but I don't think it is driven by, oh, we want to just remake and resell it to you. I think that's part of it, but I, I, I think it's more of um, an, an interest level and like 
focusing resources on that thing? When it, I don't want to answer every company, but like going off of Nintendo here as well, um, they've demonstrated that they find more value in doing the same thing that, that Disney's been doing. I mean, everyone calls it the Disney vault now and the Nintendo vault. They know the value of their older games. They know that simply making them readily available at all times kind of diminishes the importance of them. That The interest level is not like always there for them. And yes, it only speaks to maybe a smaller population of their consumers, whereas when they make them these limited time events, as we've seen with the more recent examples with the, the Mario 3D All-Stars, with the uh, finally releasing uh, Fire Emblem um, out here, the, the, the first one out here, it was an event. You have this much time to go get it. Everyone's talking about it. They know what they're doing. It's very calculated. And I'm sure they make way more money from that like really quick tentpole event than they would just listing that game on there for the entirety. And like they it's about control. And they like having things show up in certain times with their like reports. They gotta impress mm-hmm. their investors and it, it, it's like we need a big holiday title. Oh, everyone's expecting like a big AAA release. No, it's Super, Super Mario 3D All Stars. Look at this, one of the best-selling games of like last year. It's like, th- th- like that's how they do this. And I don't think you're ever gonna see them go back to anything other than like the NES SNES catalog. Even that, like, they're not really like treating that seriously anymore. They they're clearly like, don't they're, care. They're like, here's some offerings because like we need you to still pay us yeah. every month for this or your yearly or whatever. But like. It's like just look at what Disney's doing. Nintendo's doing it for that. That's for them. The other companies, if anyone else has any opinions, I don't want to take forever talking yeah. about this, but it's. I think it's a case by case basis with each other company, though. Yeah, but uh, Damian, you bring up a, a r- several really interesting points. But the one that I kind of want to focus on is you mentioned like the the online subscription service to the Switch, which obviously part of the 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 appeal of that is accessing NES games and Super Nintendo games, but. I think about kind of how it's pivoted and maybe in a way that like kind of makes sense for them where the things that really have blown up with Switch Online are not that you can play The Legend of Zelda from NES on your Switch Online, but Tetris 99. Yeah, right. Or, exactly. or, or, or you know, the Super Mario game or Pac- the, the new Pac-Man game. It's like those new games have generated more buzz and excitement and interest, at least in the short term, that like I have to imagine if you're like, okay, we want to incentivize people to pay for this service, the answer isn't adding more old games, as sweet as that would be. I'm not saying that that's what I want, but for them it's like, oh, what if we like kind of create a new viral sensation that everybody pays attention yeah. to? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, because they had the data from the virtual console sales. They right. know a lot of the extent of where they're going to get with that. So right. yeah. th- it's just something there to appease, you know, those same consumers. Because they still exist and they still want right. to hook them in as well because they also are probably the ones that are spending the most money in the ecosystem. Right. But they also, to expand just the services numbers, they have to offer something broader. And that's what these these titles like Tetris 99 are offering Right, because because the, the important thing I think to note is the consumers that really care about those old games will either pay for a service or or like use a service like Virtual Console or Nintendo Online, or they would buy a remake or a remaster. Like they they just want the game so badly that whatever way they can take it, they'll probably check it out. Versus and and so like. As a company, it's like we can appeal to them by reselling them the same old game, 
and get even more people in by focusing our efforts elsewhere rather than, you know, really committing to a service like Virtual Console. As shitty as it is, I would I swear I would love a Virtual Console. Right. But. And I have to imagine that, I mean, much like the emotion chip and stuff on the PS whatever, for backwards compatibility of hardware issues like OS and software compatibility issues are probably a thing. And you're right, they have the information that they know how many of these games on Virtual Console they would sell, and they were like, the pain in the butt to get these things to run on our new OS or whatever isn't worth it. Like, Unless you're not, Microsoft, though. Right. Apparently. Yeah. But that's, it works. That's it what's interesting. Work. Yeah, yeah, it does, you know, and that's why you've seen over time they roll out, you know, gradually more games. But also, Definitely. like, Nintendo and Sony have more new IP that, I don't know, well, that's cynical, maybe. I, I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that that's a fair take. I, I think no, I, I think Game Pass is like Game Pass is incredible. proven itself time and again. But I think the difference there is, you could probably argue that that Microsoft as a whole or Xbox as a whole is is pivoting more towards the Game Pass subscription. Yeah, and and that that that's becoming for a focus for them in the I don't think like Nintendo Online is like the same level of focus or investment right. and in a game as pass, Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate is. In a Game Pass subscription model having a huge back library makes sense financially. Right. Like that makes sense. Cuz it's kind right. of the crux. But we're not even just talking right. about it's Game Pass. Though. We're talking about yeah. like on an Xbox you can yeah. throw in an right. Xbox disc. Exactly. And right, right. It, it runs, you know. That's mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's definitely. that's another part that goes back to hardware and infrastructure and and OS and stuff. Like Microsoft has been very deliberate about each console iteration being effectively just like a new PC. It's just right. like an updated version of the same thing. Like the Series X has the same OS as the one and like the ps5 is an entirely different machine right you know so it's yeah. like microsoft just they have been doing this from the word go yeah also i mean just from the perspective of like putting out remasters more like speaking to like sony and nintendo more so maybe sony is that i mean i see people accused of like they don't want to like honor their legacy by not offering originals uh, available even like digitally and I do think there should be a, a compromise there at some point they should at least digitally start to offer some of their games because uh, for preservation purposes but at the same time as more time goes by newer generations I'm, I'm not trying to say that like younger people can't tolerate older looking games but if you're trying to get people into a series and you want like oh this is an important landmark game by updating it and kind of modernizing it a bit, you do open it up to like a larger right. audience. Yeah. It makes it far totally. more accessible. Yep. And I'm really all for that. I'm for I'm for both. I wish they would preserve the original, but also offer updated new versions each time they want to do it. And that seems to be like specifically Sony likes to go for that angle. I think they like yeah. to update the visuals. They might make it look as nice as it can because if it looks nice and runs well and, and feels modernized, you're more likely to play and enjoy it than you have to really get in the mindset of like, oh, this was like a 2000s PS2 game. I got to like deal with like some of the jank and stuff. It's like, that might be a little bit too much for some people. And like veterans, you know, they have like rose tinted goggles. They like more, they were there in the moment. They remember it more fondly. Yes. So it's harder. But they want to play the new version so they can complain about it online. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. See, so every, like from a company perspective, they've got them all. It's like, they want to, they want, to get the people is they're like they're gonna get so excited when they're like, no, the original was so much better, and here's three pages telling you why. Yeah, well, and I think 
You know, unfortunately, like, because as much as I, I mean, I've got a lot of virtual console games, so I would really love for them to, to be just too. ported over. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, it's it's quite telling that they're essentially doing the same thing, you know, aside from pricing structure and, and depth with the Switch, but they're just like, yeah, you don't have to pay for these. Just give us some, you know, your monthly online subscription. You know, it's, it just kind of comes with it. Well, like that, that, that sort of indicates that these things don't sell enough to be worth selling well, them. Well, and they, well, they, they priced themselves into a corner with the Nintendo Online because when it came out, mm-hmm. like it had to kind of come out when it did, but 20 bucks a year isn't worth giving you a huge Wii library, a huge DS library, a huge thing. Like, I think that 20 bucks a year is worth some NES and SNES Jelly titles Boy. and Jelly Boy. Whereas, like, PlayStation Plus, like, you're getting, like, pretty frequently decent games. And, like, Game Pass, Sometimes obviously. brand new games. Right, sometimes yeah. brand new games. Mm-hmm. And, like, Nintendo priced themselves out of that w- model. So then the, the big boy games that they want to bring back, they sell to you for full retail, like the Mario 3D All-Stars. Well, and... I think the other thing to think about, like specifically in the case of Nintendo, is this is not the first time they've re-released a lot of these games. Like I bet collectively we couldn't even name all of the different ways that Super Mario Brothers or The Legend of Zelda have been released over the years. Yeah. And well, Zelda and Metroid in particular. Yeah. So many times that they've just been like put in as a bonus in some so other game. Many, yes, yeah. so many times in so many different avenues, right? Where it's like in. At some point, it is diminishing returns where it's like it's it's not really like it's nice. It's appreciated. It's cool that it's on this console that you're already playing anyway, but it doesn't have the same wow factor when it's been released 10 times before. It's time for bets. Next week on July 27th, Capcom will release the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. This time next week, I'm basically making Brandon <laughs> go through the first 10 reviews on Open Critic. How many times will he find the word objection? Michael Damiani. Five. Ben Moore. Ten. Ooh. Isla Hink. Four. Oh. I also put four. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. 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 Oh, boy. There's no way to win next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Maybe I'm overestimating, but I think I think it's going to be a good number just because, like, it's, <laughs> few words are as synonymous with the series as objection is with Ace Attorney. Yeah, yeah, a lot of those closing lines. Yeah. You will not raise an objection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was writing those same sentences in my head, dude. Yes. 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 Uh, this week, uh, Last Stop launched on July 22nd. Uh, the same, that's uh, today. Uh, and we, uh, Brandon asked, how long will the credits be? Damiani bet three minutes. Michael Huber bet two minutes and 55 seconds. Isla bet three minutes and 12 seconds. I bet uh, four minutes and 18 seconds. And Brandon bet uh, one minute and 55 seconds. The time was two minutes and 44 seconds, which makes Huber the winner. Ben is in Huber's seat. And that brings our scores to 
Jovial Penguins, 18. You're just jealous because I'm a genuine freak. That's literally what I have on my phone right now. Am I supposed to do quotes? Like, can somebody (laughs) just tell me that I need to do quotes? It's just these two. It's just these two. And those are the first beavers. 13. Nom, 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 nom. Let me tell you about patreon.com slash easyallies. That is where you can go to support us. Everything that we do here is... Basically because of all of our fans who are pitching in there, that is the primary engine that funds this venture. Uh, there are other things that we do, but that is uh, where most of our funding comes through. Uh, we are supported by you, and uh, we have a lot of different rewards there. The, the biggest thing uh, that most of the people watching this podcast should be aware of is at the $5 tier, you get uh, two days early access and you also get to submit uh, questions to Love and Respect, as well as games and other things uh, from time to time. Uh, you also get this podcast uh, ad-free. Uh, and even if you're a dollar patron, uh, you'll still get an ad-free version. You just won't get it uh, available until Sunday. And there's a nice little uh, RSS feed that's specific to patrons. So you can just get all of those things. Everything that release audio form comes through that way. And then there's some higher tiers and stuff as well. Hey, Blood, real quick before mm-hmm. you move on, just want to say great job filling in at the last minute. <laughs> yes. For Jones. Yeah. Round of Fantastic work, Bloodworth. The highest level uh, is the shout out tier. Uh, and uh, we have some wonderful people to give shout outs to. And we'll just go right around the table. Uh, shout outs to Blue, Caleb Togi Crawford, Dave McKilligan, Edgar, So I'm a Spider, So What, El Thanis. Estocal, Greg the Dark Knight Kettering, and Nick. Shout out. Shout out. All right. To close out this show, Ben Moore, you get to promote any Easy Allies video you'd like to promote. You get the final word on anything that you've disagreed with, want to reiterate, or just popped into your head. And you get to sign off with your trademark sign off. Um... I want to promote the latest episode of Frame Trap, uh, Frame Trap 138. Uh, it's with Brad and Huber, and it's just a really good episode. I think you really feel like our enthusiasm, and I think it's expressed in a lot of ways. Like just hearing Huber talk about like the the Streets of Rage 4 DLC, it's like it's like the Final Fantasy VII remake came out again for the first time. It's like he he, he just has such an enthusiasm for it that it's like. He convinces you that it's the biggest release of the year, which is really fun to see. Um, but then when we talk about things like X Defiant, you know, we're very critical. But I think it comes across that we're critical because you know we care and we want things to be better. And so I think it's just a good episode of the show. Really gives you uh, an idea of what that show is like at its best. Um, what do I want to reiterate? Dead Space is back, motherfuckers. <laughs> and Sophie is our supreme ruler. Attitude Era EZA podcast. Japan got Shin Megami Tensei, and we got fucking Jelly Boy!